Hello and welcome to a new Nudia on Your Mind podcast. Very happy to be here back in the studio with my partner in crime, Victor Sonnebeck, and also with uh, Tia Kuren, who works with uh, Nudia Business Banking in Trondheim, Norway. Great to have you here for the podcast. Happy to be back and Hi. warm welcome to Tia. Thank you. We are so privileged to have young talent do rotations during their graduate time at Nordea with us. And uh, we've uh, given you, I guess, a flying start, Tia, in working on this new exciting office space report. Absolutely. It's been a joy joining your team here. And here we are to have a talk about the findings in this new report with the title Office Space. This is all about new ways of working during the COVID-19 pandemic and asking ourselves the question, are changes to our behavior going to be permanent? Um, And given the changes to how we work, how we shop, etc., how could this affect the need for office premises going forward? But the title for the report, Office Space, was kind of a given. And we uh, we do like to throw in some move references from, from time to time in our reports. Uh, and, and I guess, uh, as you said, Johan, given that we're writing about changing nature of office premises, what better title than, than Office Space? Of course, referring to, to the old, or not maybe that old, but the, the uh, 90s movie Office Space. For the curious reader who's actually opened the reports, you'll find some uh, some additional references scattered throughout. So enjoy finding those. You can almost see it as a treasure hunt, I guess. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie Office Space, go ahead and do it. It's important. You'll know what we mean once we get further in our findings from this uh, report. And it has a lot to do with uh, changing nature of uh, of office work. Uh, in the case of the movie, which we're unfortunately not here to talk about to the full uh, fullest extent, but in the case of the movie, it's about a few individuals uh, finding themselves bored of the office environment and the company they work for. But in this case, we've had something perhaps a bit larger happen, which is, of course, the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. So the COVID-19 pandemic has brought with it a lot of changes to our everyday life. And one of these changes is, is what we're here to discuss today how we've changed in terms of how we view the uh, the office space and what we think will happen going forward to the workplace but starting off then with the COVID-19 pandemic uh, you want if you just want to summarize a bit how, how has this uh, affected corporates yeah and we we did write several reports during the pandemic uh, not the only mind reports about it and, and how the corporate sector has been affected and we've updated that and followed it and it's been I think fascinating from the very beginning when we started looking at it because it didn't really play out as I think anyone would have expected the shock itself from the pandemic was huge and and compared with earlier shocks to the economy it's also understandable why it was huge because it it became so sudden the only way to try and slow down the spread of the virus to prevent healthcare systems from becoming overwhelmed and not being able to treat a large enough number of patients at any given point in time was to introduce these social distancing measures and when suddenly we found ourselves unable to leave our homes as much as we were used to, to work or shop or anything else, what we found was that demand completely collapsed for uh, a lot of activities for a lot of companies out there. And demand collapsed more quickly than it did, for example, during the global financial crisis of, of 2008. Because when you say sudden, you want, I, I mean, the nature of shocks are that they are sudden, right? <laughs> but in this case, it was extreme. It was even more sudden. Yeah, unlike one. anything we've ever seen. And, and and because of what happened, we can see why this was the case. But nonetheless, it was a huge challenge for companies. But having said that, we have also been, and I think many with us, very surprised to see how quick the recovery has been. So the initial blow was terrible. But at the same time, compared with earlier crises, companies have recovered their revenue growth and their earnings growth more quickly than on earlier occasions. And key reasons why companies have been able to manage this better 
than perhaps many of us feared when we saw the first wave of the pandemic is that they were proactive and they were quite early in taking forceful measures to protect themselves and to try and adapt to the difficult shock that they saw unfolding. And in addition, and that's important to really emphasize, there has been an unprecedented level of state and central bank support, which has of course been a huge benefit for companies to be able to cope with a very difficult environment. So the impact from this shock to the economy from the pandemic has been unique also compared with earlier shocks in that it has been so different among different sectors and and, and industries and companies. And again, because of what caused the shock, the restrictions for our ability to move around and do things in, in various ways freely, with consumer mobility being so severely constrained so suddenly, all those businesses dependent on consumer mobility were completely crushed, particularly in the early phase of of the pandemic. So businesses like travel, like hospitality, like food service, restaurants, like entertainment had immense difficulties keeping up some kind of revenue and, 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 and earnings. And at the same time, on a more positive note, who have provided the solutions which has made it available for us to do various things, typically with new digital tools? Well, those have often been the big technology companies. And and if we look at the big tech giants among listed companies around the world, we see an almost shocking difference in the worst affected industries and looking at the big tech companies who have not seen any kind of crisis at all. In fact, after the first wave of the crisis, have seen their growth, both for revenues and for profits, accelerate compared with before the pandemic. So the solution providers to the pandemic uh, have largely been the profiteers, you could say. The ones benefiting from what's happening. And in a big way. And when it comes to all of these changes, you mentioned mobility, and of course that's, that's been a big one. So when it comes to, to the topic of this report and the nature of uh, of our work, the way in which we work, uh, I know that we have some figures, uh, Tia, on, on how the Nordics have been affected by this, both initially in terms of, of mobility and in terms of people in the workplace, uh, but also currently with regards to how, how it has been. Yeah, yeah, we do. Our ways of working have been affected in lots of ways, and especially if we look at the um, mobility aspect of this because uh, the Nordic workplace mobility has actually gone down with over 30% during the first wave in April 2020. And uh, what we can see is that we're still down about 10 to 20% now, which is a very recent data from Google. So this shows that this trend is likely here to stay, but then the question is in what way? And uh, there are still many jobs that actually can't be done remotely. So, of course, they have still been going to work during the crisis if uh, they haven't been uh, been shut down. But there's also been a huge increase in uh, remote work for the white-collar jobs because this can be done remotely. So it's really interesting to see how this will go forward. So you're mentioning a, a decrease of, of between... 10 and, and almost 35%. And this is with regards to the entire population. Since a lot of a lot of uh, jobs, as you mentioned, can't be done remotely, this is really a huge part of the, the, the white-collar jobs. And one way of trying to gauge how big the impact has been is to, I guess, look to ourselves at Nodia as an example. I mean, Nodia is a, is a pretty good example of a white-collar employer. Uh, we are the Nordic region's biggest bank. We are 27,500 people. And, and look, looking at some data which are a proxy for how this has affected Nordea and our ways of working, we can see, for example, that business travel at Nordea during the pandemic uh, is down about 99%. So it's, it's almost nothing. Uh, and that is, of course, a dramatic change in how we work in terms of how we interact with, with our clients. 
Looking at remote working, comparing to what you talked about based on that Google mobility data, the share of remote working by the total workforce at Nordea before the pandemic was about 10%. And during the pandemic, it's been as high as 60%. So it's increased sixfold. Uh, have we seen a, a rapid increase in, in the time spent at the office or does there seem to be some kind of lag there in terms of people keep working from home? There is clearly some sort of lingering effect because we are nowhere near back down to 10% again of remote work and time will tell where we end up in the years ahead. But comparing the development, if we were at 10% prior to the pandemic at the sort of most intense point during the pandemic, we reached 60% of total work being done remotely. And we seem to be heading towards a 30% level looking ahead uh, from what we can see right now. And and then let's, let's see in a few years time where this all ends up. But we're certainly not back to square one to sort of pre-pandemic levels. And maybe the most interesting thing about all this is that you might be concerned that this would have been a big problem for Nordea in that it would be inefficient, that we would struggle to really do all the things we need to do as employees having to work under these conditions. But what we have seen is actually the opposite. So looking at the quarter-by-quarter financial performance for Nordea since the beginning of the pandemic up until now, there has been a dramatic improvement in financial performance. And and that's actually the case pretty much wherever we look, right? Perhaps not specifically in in terms of of straight-up financial performance, given that a lot of other factors are affecting that, Uh, but in terms of of, uh, performance generally with with working from home. We haven't really seen that it has led to anything like, like a decrease in productivity. And what about if we look ahead and looking beyond Nordea, will we go back to across the economy, across society, the ways we used to work before the pandemic? What do you think? I guess that, that, that's kind of uh, the point of this exercise, right? Looking into how people have changed their, their preferences, uh, how, how people have, have discovered these new ways of working. And what we can see is, is a clear trend that a lot of people have in many ways enjoyed this increased flexibility with, uh, with uh, being able to work remote. Uh, but there are also some factors that people are, are missing out on uh, in terms of not being in the office. And and I guess one of the, uh, the the key aspects here is that it's become more clear why we are in the office and why we are working remotely. So, so given what we can see from from different surveys, we would say that the increase in remote working is undoubtedly here uh, here to stay. So, employees want to be able to work more remotely, while employees uh, indicate that they would be increasingly likely to uh, adopt this new way of uh, way of working. So, what employees want is one thing, and the fact that financial performance seems to have been very robust even having to work in these new ways is another thing. Still another thing is what have we seen companies communicate so far? Do we already know what the intentions are? And and to a degree we do. Uh, We we have seen a sample, a pretty big sample of of large corporates uh, around the world make various announcements for what their work policies are going to be like uh, going forward. And, and just taking a quick look at that sample, we could see that within our own home turf, within financial services, looking at large corporates, the average level of remote working that they seem to be aiming for uh, is between 40 and 50%. So so there's already a lot of evidence showing that this, this is kind of a new norm that's emerging out there among companies. But looking beyond that, if we take, for example, big international banks who have operations in Poland, like 
we do here at Nordea for a lot of back office and support functions. The level of ambition that has been communicated that we have seen in public is between 70 and 80% remote working. And if we take it even further down the curve towards the far end of it, if we take global tech giants like, for example, Microsoft and Spotify, they have communicated ambitions to have between 90 and 100% remote working going forward. And and with such um, huge increases in remote working, uh, it's obviously not going to be some kind of prorata solution where you do you know 40 percent of your work of the exact same work in in the office as you do at home uh, but instead it will be a lot more dependent on on tasks so if you have one aspect of your your work that is much more collaborative it will most likely be be still done at the office uh, if needed while if we're talking about more kind of focused independent individual work that is more suitable perhaps, for the for the home environment. So there will most likely be, and, and this is what we see as well from, from various surveys, this kind of distinction between different tasks and, and what premise or what premises are, are the most optimal for it. And this will, of course, affect the way that our offices are configured, but also the, how much office space we need with more people working remotely. Yeah, so it does seem that we will, in quite a big extent, uh, do work more from home. So that may indicate that we might not need as much office space as we do have today. Exactly so. And and to the question, will we need as much office space as we did before, the, the simplistic and quick answer would be no. Employers already today, if you look at big surveys, which are global, have more desks than they have employees. So there is an excess capacity, so to speak. And the shrinking usage of number of square meters of office space per employee is really not anything new at all. We have seen a long trend going back as far as 10 years into the past or beyond, where we see a very, very clear development downwards for the number of square meters of office space that that employers use for for their staff. And and just to give an idea, uh, in the the period 2010 to 21, the average number of square meters available per per employee is down 40%. So so the the trend has already been there. And uh, going forward, we do see these expectations even from from uh, top leaders uh, in companies. So from a Deloitte CEO survey, for example, CEOs expect there to be a net uh, net reduction in need for office space in 2022 compared to 2019 uh, by 26%. So, so, so it will be a decreased need for office space. Overall, it's the general expectation. In terms of what we've been discussing so far with changed ways of working, I guess this has a lot to do with exactly how you reduce office space. Uh, I mean, you mentioned desk sharing, you want, and, and that might be likely to increase as people work more remotely, but um, but I guess there are other aspects to this as well to, uh, to consider. Well, it's really interesting because there are actually two sides to this discussion when you have the leaders on one side and then the employees on the other side. And the leaders, they believe that the staff actually need to be in the office to be able to increase the productivity. But then you have the evidence, which is actually kind of weak here because you have the employees, they would actually prefer three days or more per week working remote, but then you have the leaders on the other side who do not want these many days. So it's um, the problem is uh, is here. We have to figure this out. So what you're saying is essentially a, a mismatch between preferences in terms of how often should an employee uh, work from home. But I guess also the, the kind of key benefits you get out of working from the office, where the employees highlight the, the gains with regards to, to collaboration and socializing with uh, with colleagues, uh, while, while the the employers talk more about productivity and, and, and the company culture. And what this essentially boils down to is that in order for there to be any substantial 
reduction in terms of actual office space needed uh, for a company, you need to find some common ground here in terms of being able to find an optimal schedule for when workers should be in the office and how often they should be in the office. Because theoretically, if you reduce the number of days worked in the office, it could actually be the case that you aren't reducing your, your overall office space need at all. Because what you need to realize is that the office space needs to be able to accommodate for the maximum level of utilization. So the maximum level of of utilization in terms of the point in time where there are the most workers in the office. So even if you reduce or or even if you increase, uh, let's say, remote working by by a a large percentage, uh, you might still not see any spatial benefits uh, from it. So just as an example, uh, if you were to, to say that Two days a week, each staff is working remotely. Uh, Theoretically, uh, you could reduce office space by by 40% if you allow for this more flexible, optimal way of scheduling. But taking employee preferences into account, let's say that each employee would would, would be more likely uh, to want to work from home on a Monday or a Friday, then this potential benefit in terms of office space reduction would be be much less. Such a big number as 40% is probably not realistic. Um, There needs to be a new norm established for the share of remote work overall, how much we work remotely rather than in the office, um, and also how that spread over the working week as as, as you described. Uh, But in addition, employers are going to need to invest in the quality and in the layout and, 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 and the technology and infrastructure in their office premises in order for both people to actually want to go in there, to bother to leave home if they can do a lot of tasks efficiently and well at home and and actually show up in the office, travel there and work there, but also to enable the new ways of working in that you have some colleagues who connect remotely uh, and that you have the tools available to work uh, in a hybrid way between the remote work and and, and the work on site. And and we do see in other surveys that such investments are being made, but there will be a a lot of that needed with a growing share going forward of remote work compared with pre-pandemic levels. But if if common ground, as as you described it, Tia, between the leaders and the employers is found and the new norm does get established, um, we certainly believe that a 20 to 30 percent reduction in needed office space for white collar jobs in the coming years is probably not unrealistic. And, and interestingly, that is actually pretty much exactly in line with what the CEOs expected in this survey when they were asked last year about how much less office space they expect will be needed in, in, in the years ahead. Exactly. And uh, and this again would mean that we probably will see a more polarized uh, office real estate market because uh, you have the demand, which will probably be higher for the more modern, the more flexible premises with the uh, prime locations and have the locations where the staff actually want to go uh, instead of staying at home. But then you will also have the legacy office space with the more traditional layout with not the prime locations, more secondary locations. And these will probably have a um, more questionable value going forward. So, so, so with uh, yet another throwback to, to the office space, uh, there, there won't be as much appetite for these peripheral office buildings with, with you know, dis, disfun- uh, dysfunctional printers and, and cubicles for producing the TPS reports. What do you say, Yuan? Yeah. 
if you could avoid those, that would be great. And that is, of course, not not you um, himself here having a stroke. That that is a quote from Mr. Lumberg from uh, from the movie. I think it's uh, no hiding that the uh, Office Space movie may, might be uh, one of your favorites, isn't it? Could be the the case that it's up there, um, high on the list for sure. But uh, how great is it then to end this uh, pod with a reference from your favorite movie? So, Johan, what's coming up next for thematics? Well, we are busy as ever, uh, which is uh, something we really enjoy. Um, what we have planned is next our annual treasury survey, where we this time have asked a lot of questions in our online survey uh, on the treasury function of the large corporates here in the Nordic region before and after the COVID pandemic to see how they have been affected in their ways of working. So that will be released in late October. Uh, and then as for our next Nodia on your mind report, which will come out in November, uh, that's going to have the title The Ideal Owners. Uh, and in this one, we are going to review if we can see any evidence of differences in corporate performance depending on what kind of ownership companies have and make distinctions between family-owned companies, private equity-owned companies, institutionally-owned companies, and perhaps also state-owned companies. So watch out for that coming up later this autumn. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. It's been fun and look forward to seeing you again uh, next time. Mm-hmm.